Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They have been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome award-winning author Katie Livingston, who just recently won the Writers of the Future Award. Now this is a recorded show, so please don't call in. Here's Katie. Hi Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Are you all excited about winning the Writers of the Future Award? Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. I can't wait till we can all get together and have the convention. It's really exciting to me. Yeah, it's a very strange time that (laughs) with the pandemic and everything. But, you know, it's just weird. Even um, I got a delivery today, and the mailman left it, of course, and I went to get the box, and my neighbor was in front of her door. And I was like, I looked at it, and I'm going, is that six feet? Well, it's good enough. I'm going to get my delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, we're lucky here in Oklahoma because it's not as bad here because of the population density. But it definitely affects things, you know. And it is so nerve-wracking to, like, not know if you're if you're going to win the grand prize. Like, every month, you know, it gets closer, and, like, my stomach is just in knots. Yeah, it's just really weird. It, it, but it's coming, so it, it, you'll get it one way or another. Hopefully, it'll open up that everybody can travel again. Right. But I, I, I'd rather it not happen until everybody's safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, my first question is, uh, when, you were, when you were a child, were you a writer, and are you a big reader? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a pretty common thing for a lot of people who enjoy writing, is that it's something that, that starts out when you're pretty young, and that was the case for me, um, particularly with reading. I was a really avid reader when I was younger um, just because that was like how I chose to, to waste waste my time I remember it got to the point where like my mom was taking away my books so that I would like go play outside or do something else or socialize or like if I did something and I got in trouble she would say I'm going to take away your books like it was a punishment for me because that was you know my preferred means of escapism <laughs> That's um, sort of like my parents when they took it. It didn't work, but they took my TV away to try to make me to be a good girl. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like the way that parents treat TV, that's sort of how my parents were with the book. Um, and then like you know with the whole writing thing, I tried. I really tried when I was younger, and you know I did made a little bit all that. I didn't start writing consistently though. I think until I was in middle school. And then in high school, like, that was what I did every day. I just, I wrote so much. Um, so, yeah, it was been a long time thing for me. Oh, I think, you know, that's really cool. I My first time was uh, in second or third grade. They wrote a sentence on the uh, chalkboard, and you're supposed to write a little paragraph about it. And I wrote six pages. Mm-hmm. I wrote a six-page <laughs> Greek myth. From that one little sentence. I I still have it. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, that's a big thing. Like being being told, oh, you need to write one paper, one page, and then like the paper turns out to be eight pages long or something. Yeah, that's very relatable. Yeah, and I used to get well, not all of mine. Some of my English teachers really appreciate it, but I had a couple English teachers that got ticked off that my book reports were more like books. Um. <laughs> Because I would go in depth and how I felt about each and every character and how you know I was like, and they're like, we really don't need all that information. And I'm like, yeah, but you wanted an in depth right. book report. This is an in depth book report. <laughs> right. That's no, and that's something that I like still struggle to do to this day is like keep. Keep, keep it concise in, in terms of writing. And something that's helped me a lot is a lot of my professors have told me, you know, your long pieces are really good, but you can take take the best part of it and make, like, a really shorter piece that, like, every sentence matters, or, you know. So that is, like, a really difficult skill. But it, it's, a, it's, been, it's been good for me to try and learn to do that. I don't think I learned that until I was about your age in college. I didn't really learn that. Not in high school. I was in community college my second year when I figured out that I don't have to write ten sentences where one sentence would do. It wasn't because anybody told me. It was more like I had a, back then you had a type instead of having a computer. It was a word processor, so it all popped up. But you had to type, and I kept breaking my nails. So I figured the less I oh, type, really? the more nails I keep. That's a good way to. That's a good way to like tighten things up, get nails. <laughs> I like that. Uh, hey, it was the '80s. What can I say? <laughs> nails were important. Right. Nice big chunky keyboard. Yeah, and and your your nails always got caught in between. It was awful, and they, you you had to have a. I I have tiny hands, and you had to have a really heavy touch with the old word processors, and even some of the old computer keyboards when like when they first started. Um, when I first started working my first job, the keyboard was so heavy that it was like, I, I said, I might as well have my dad's portable because <laughs> that's how heavy it, that was at work. I was like, this is really sucks. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, so you're, you're, you're a college student. You have some stuff that's coming up. You want to tell everybody how cool that is? Yeah. So the major things for me right now, um, well, the the big one is that I'm going to be a senior next year, and I've applied to do a thesis. I should be able to do one with my GPA and the classes I've taken, so that's going to be a lot of my time. And then I also have a fellowship for this summer to do. It's also funded by my university to do some memoir-style writing. Not write a full memoir because <laughs> I'm not up to that task, but... Um, and that sort that writing is gonna it's gonna work in conjunction with my thesis. So I'm doing a critical thesis, and then I'm doing some writing to complement it, so that there's a little bit of balance of like creative and and critical work. So I'm excited about those two things. What's your thesis on? So I'm going to be doing my thesis on the memoir 
Um, specifically, I'm going to be looking at educated a memoir, and it's going to be a. I'm going to be discussing discussing some of the like representational issues of memoir because what ends up happening is you sort of like represent yourself when you were younger, but you're no longer that self, right? And then there are issues of memory, there are issues of representing like your family, um, and usually it's in such a way where you're showing like a movement from, oh, like I used to not have a lot to now I have a lot, and that can lead to like, you know, archetypes, like presenting people you know as archetypes or yourself as archetypes, and maybe not as like really complicated people. So yeah, just some sort of like representational questions um, that come with memoir writing and questions of memory. That's interesting. Yeah. I have really, really incredibly weirdly good memory, especially from my childhood. So I actually, when I lost my father, I actually wrote one. I wrote a memoir. It, wow. It didn't, wasn't because I wanted to write a memoir. It started out, I was really upset because I love my dad dearly. And um, I started writing lists, all the good things in my life, all the bad things in my life. But the list started to get, like, pages long. And, right. and so then I started expanding on that. And until I and I I said to my mom, I go, you know, I could write my memoir with all this stuff. Do you think I should? And she said, Why not? Right. <laughs> and that's what my mom usually said. So did my dad. <laughs> and that's good. That's nice to have support like that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I ended up doing it. But it's 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 an interesting thing because you're right. I I didn't fall into the trap of one-dimensional or archetypes. It was more like I had to be careful about, you know, putting everything in it, every single part of my life. And I, I thought, this is too much. And I, I cut the ribbons out of it. I was viciously cutting it. <laughs> because it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to write it. Um, because you're writing your if you write your own. I mean, if you get somebody else to write it, that's different. <laughs> right, right. But since I'm yeah. a writer, I thought I'd do it. <laughs> and I already started. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, too, like, what different purposes people have for their own, like, depicting their own lives. Um, and the book that I'm looking at, Educated, is, like, very specifically about classism. And so the, something that's interesting about it is that she's trying to, like, draw attention to these issues, right, and things that she had to grow up with, but the only people that really read these books are, like, people in more elite places, um, and some sort of the representations of her family some, sometimes falls into, like, archetypes about poor people or, like, poor religious people, and that those are all, like, really close and important topics for me as well. Um, because I sort of come similarly from rural communities. So it's like, how do you do the thing of, like, representing, well, this is an issue, but, like, also not falling into, like, bad patterns of representing people, or how do you, like, trust your own memory about something, which, yeah. But there are plenty of memoirs also, I think, just about, like, family 
And those are really interesting to me as well, because I don't even know how I would go about writing, like, specifically about family. It seems so close and emotional. It is. It is. It is really hard. Yeah. Um, I actually, I gave, when I finished, I gave it to my mom and my brother to read, just to make sure that it was okay, you know, with them, because I revealed a lot of stuff. And right. I wanted to make sure they were cool with it, which they were. Um, but it was it's it's a very strange thing. But I love biographies. I'm one of those weird people who once I really like an author, I have to get biographies about the author. If I like an actor, I have to get. It. I I love an historical figures, you know, or mm-hmm. or I um one of the things that gets me reading about people. Have you ever, like, really liked an author and you were reading their autobiography or their biography and they refer to somebody you don't know? And not only were you interested in that person, you wanted to read about it, so you ended up getting that biography because you wanted to find out and some of their work and stuff like that. I, it, it's weird because that's how a lot of the stuff I find comes about is because... I'll be reading one person I enjoy, or, or for whatever reason, what kind of whatever kind of a person they are, and then they right. will refer to another. Like I never heard of um, like uh, Dorothy Sayers until Agatha Christie referred to her, her in her autobiography. I mean, mm. it's just she says the most. She said she was the most formidable and talented mystery writer in her acquaintance. That's something coming from her. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, tell you the truth, I had always been the type of person that was like, oh, I don't like biography this, I don't like biography that. But I actually took a class this semester that was about biography specifically, and I learned, like, I started reading, like, all of these sort of newish, like, different styles of biography, because I always considered them to be like, oh, this is just going to be, like, a stuffy book about some guy who fought in a war, or a stuffy book about, you know, some old president or something, but there's so many, like, different types of biography these days as well, and, and so the genres become, like, a lot more interesting. Actually, it's always been interesting. It's always been interesting, just that that's what they gave you in school. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean there's there's always been interesting biographies. There's just uh if you want to read a really interesting biography, Errol Flynn's autobiography. Whew, that's interesting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he was, yeah. I don't know if you know who he was. He was a very sexy male he was a very sexy male, but he was also a movie star. <laughs> okay. He played Robin Hood and he that's what he's most famous for, he played Robin Hood. But he was in all yeah, kinds of movies. I'm familiar with the name, but I'm just so bad at keeping up with, like, actors and things like that. But, yeah, no, I would believe that. We actually did read a few um, bi- biographies of, like, famous people, um, which are always really interesting, like, how they get to that position in life. Yeah, and you find out how human they are. There's right, very few right. people who have really... I, the only person I can think of who basically had a really dreamlike life and then a terrible end, but her life was really happy, her whole life was in Netflix Lucella from the Beach movies. 
she had a happy life from the time she was born until she got muscular sclerosis. <laughs> and I mean, that and, and that's a horrible way to die. It was, and it, you suffer for a long time with that disease. Mm -hmm. But it was a fascinating book because her life was, you, you wouldn't think, because she was a masketeer, and then she, she merged perfectly into a teenage thing, and then she started doing, you know, she got married, and she was happy, and she left this industry, she didn't care, and I mean, everything was, you never really read that. Most people have tragedy in their lives, and she didn't have it until the end. <laughs> Man, what a worst way to end. Yeah, it was horrible. And she was such a nice lady, too, so it's just, like, just just heartbreaking. I didn't realize how much she suffered um, until I, I read it. I was, But she was a hell of a lady. She was a good person. It's just that she had what they call a fairy tale life. She really did. Not Most people who had fairy tale lives did not have fairy tale lives. Not at all. But she mm -hmm. did. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I know, um, but I I love that. It's really fascinating. But I'm also I skip a lot. I not skip in reading, but I I don't stick to a genre. Do you read more than? I mean, I like mysteries. I like science fiction. I like uh, historical novels. I like classics. I go. Blah, 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 blah. I don't stick to anything. Do Do you have a certain genre that you like, or do you go all over the place? Uh, you know, like, since I'm a student right now, and I, I am an English major, and what I like is just what my professors dump on me, <laughs> um, I just, for the time being. But, yeah, no, I, did, I don't think that, um, when I was younger, definitely science fiction and fantasy were my favorite genres, and I just, like, I, I could read, you know, almost a book a day. I would just read so much in those genres. Um, now that I'm older, it's really weird. I've become recently very obsessed with self-help books, but not necessarily because I want to help myself, just because I find I find the way that they're um, marketed and the way that the authors, like, speak in them and, like, what they're trying to do to be, like, very interesting uh, topically. So I have read some that, like, I really like and that I apply to my life, but they're just such quick reads, and they're so full of, like, very specific ideologies about how to live your life. And I just think it's so interesting that there's, like, a genre of book that's dedicated to, okay, I'm going to, like, in this single book, give you the ideology for, like, how to live your life, whether that's improving your love life, improving <laughs> your career, improving your money. Like, there are so many genres of them. Or, like, specifically the ones about how to, like, for women, specifically, because there's, like, this whole genre of, like, oh, you have to be a boss babe, and this is how you have, like, attained, like, corporate success. I don't know. It's just very interesting to me. So I, I've been reading a lot of those. I know. I just, I, I, I did, I did read a few of them. I just find them so annoying. <laughs> I know. It's, and that's sort of the, my compulsion, I think, in reading them is it's, yeah, I don't know that I actually agree with, with most of what's in them. Um, but it is so interesting that there's a market for that. I mean, it's just, it's like, uh, I read some when I was um, your age and younger. And I tried, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to follow any of their and then when there was a period when there was like 
all these women's books like The Secret and The Companion and The Guide to This and all this other stuff. And I was like, mm -hmm. I bought one, no, two, and I found them both really too simplistic. They're not really... I, I understand they have helped people, and I think that's great. But mm -hmm. I don't really understand why. <laughs> Right. And I think something that's interesting is, like, if you look even at, in, so in the genre, this is my theory about it, of self-help books, there's self-help books for men and self-help books for women. And you can tell, like, just based on the cover, which one it is, because mm -hmm. they're going, they're, they're, like, very aggressively, you know, whatever. Like, the women's ones will be, like, pink, and they'll have a lady on the front, there'll be, like, a lipstick stain, and then the men's ones will be, like, very um, clean-cut lines and, like, usually some deep blue color or orange or something. And they'll usually have, like, a curse word <laughs> on the front. Um, but they're, when you open the men's ones, they're like, okay, fellas, this is how you live your life. So I'm going to give you 12 steps to having a lot of money and, like, getting all the hot babes. And then, <laughs> and then the women's one, or it's just kind of like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like, did you ever, when you were a kid, did girls, like, have these little games where they would, like, snap at each other and, like, say little rhymes and stuff and be mm -hmm. kind of sassy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we yeah. had those little rhymes on the playground, and, like, that, to me, that's the women's self-help book is, like, you know, snap, snap, I'm sassy, and, like, I can do it, it's that sort of, like, attitude, which they're both just very funny, like attitudes to have to me. Um, but people buy it. I mean, they really soak it up. It is, and some of these people that write these little books become really rich. They write series yeah. of them. Isn't that interesting? It's just, I, it fascinates me that that happens. Well, yeah, and to me, I think it's just like the promise of if you take five steps, you know, you're going to have a better life. If you take these five steps and correct these couple of things in your life, you're going, or if you adopt the right ideology, you're going to be able to improve yourself in some way. When I think, like, as you said earlier, improving yourself or improving your situation is actually a lot more complicated mm -hmm. than just, you know, doing that. What was the Jordan Peterson book that was so influential for a bunch of young men recently? It was just like that. It was like there are 12 steps, and if you do that, then you'll be able to, like, succeed. And I just think it's it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of scummy because it really is, like, not true. I know. It's, I found, like, I, what I was talking about before about reading other people's biographies and finding out that everybody, except for that one person, everybody lived really difficult lives. Everybody's had ups and downs. Everybody has had really great things and really bad things happen to them. That actually helped me a lot more than any of those self-help books did. Because I realized, you know, I'm not alone. Everybody goes through this junk. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, lives are complicated, you know. Much more complicated than 12 steps or 5 steps or... <laughs> Right. they are. Um, yeah, I just, I I tried a couple of times, and not for me. Um, 
Okay, we're at the part where I want to talk about your uh, your section of the um, Writers of the Future. What was your short story about, and um, how did you find out that you won, and all that good stuff? Yeah, so my short story was Educational Tapes, um, and it's sort of about, I mean, for me, it was trying to, like, play with the genre of dystopian fiction for teenagers, because I read a lot of that genre when I was in high school, and I sort of wanted to take the template of it and use it to, like, comment on, like, mentalities in my religious community that were sort of leaning towards, like, theocracy, like, religion as governing. Um, so I was trying to do sort of a critique both of some of the problems that I had seen, um, like, in my own religious structures, and then a critique of the dystopian genre. And I don't know if I accomplished all that. But um, the story is, there's, you know, a two main characters. There's a quote-unquote you, which is the person that is listening to the educational tapes. They're a child. And they have to make a choice about whether they're going to opt in to, like, you know, staying in their staying in their culture, their society, um, getting a job, and all that, or they can opt to leave. Which, as we discover, there's not really that's not really a good option. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then the other character is the narrator character, and so there's sort of two strands where she's describing things to the you character. Um, that lets us know that there's government surveillance and that they know what has been happening in this character's life. And then there's another thread in the story where she's talking about things that have happened to her. So it's that sort of both of their stories follow, like both of their stories unfold, like, through the course of the short story. Um, and, yeah, it's written in second person, so that was, that was, like, a risk to take. And I've noticed some people really like it and some people don't it's definitely like up to your taste but yeah that's what my thing was about and what was the second part of the question I'm sorry I forgot <laughs> how did you find out that you won oh okay this is actually I have a funny story about this actually because I had submitted this to the writers of the future contest after I had finished writing it because it was big it was like a long story it was like 17,000 words and I was like who I need to do something with this because I spent my whole summer writing it. And I was like, who would take a short story that's that long, though? You know, it's kind of an awkward length. Like, it's not really a novella. It's, it was kind of over short story. And I found um, the Writers of the Future contest through several searches and things. And I thought, dang, this contest sounds too good to be true. Like, I'm never going to win this. Um, but... I'll submit it anyways. <laughs> so I submitted it, and I kind of, like, forgot about it because I thought, hey, I'm not going to win this. A year later, I was going through my um, computer, and I found the story again, and I was like, dang, I never did anything with this. I need to submit this for publication. And I found the Writers of the Future contest again, and I forgot that I had submitted to it. So I was thinking of submitting the same story again the next year. And then within, like, two days, I got a call from Joni saying, Hey, you're finalist. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was really surreal because I was, like, 
thinking of applying to this contest, and then the next day I find out I'm a finalist in this contest. It was a very strange experience, but... It would have been funny if you submitted it again after you became a finalist. <laughs> I know. It, yeah, it would have been ridiculous. This shows you how good my memory is. Um, but yeah, that was, it was a very funny situation. And of course, I was super excited because I didn't think I had a chance at all of winning. So... I think it's cool. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And Thank you. Okay, you have to say the whole name of the book and the and the number because it's very important. Oh, Writers of the Future, Volume 36. Okay. You forgot the L. Ron Hubbard part, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay, no biggie. Um, and... Do you have um, any kind of website or um, are you on social media that somebody could say hi after they hear this? Yeah, I do have a website. It's katie-livingston.com. Um, I mean, it's still kind of under construction. It's half a personal website, half like a writing website. Um, also, like, I have a section about my tutoring side business, so it's kind of a mess right now, but they can check that out. Um, I also write for the Wesleyan Argus, and, you know, my email for, for that is out there. It's klivingston at wesleyan.edu, and it's always really nice if people, you know, send me emails and say hi. That's great. Other than that, I'm really not on social media. Um, I need to get better at that, but... Okay. All right. That's fine. Um, anyway, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Charity.